I don't know about you, but I wish we could do that every week. Uh, I think we'll talk to Pastor Liz and see if we can at least make it monthly. That was an incredible, incredible time we had at Easter time. And uh, Pastor Liz does an incredible job every week running our children's program. Can we say thank you to her? Yeah. This is week one of our new series called My Imperfect Family, and who better to start that but me? Uh, I think we took a poll and said, who's got the worst uh, personality, worst family? You got me. And so here I am this week, and I'm excited about this. This is a five-week series. It's going to be really good. You don't want to miss a week. We've got some great, a great lineup ahead for you, so please don't miss out on any of the weeks. Uh, it's interesting. I find... I find that uh, in almost every family, there's always seems to be that one, you know, crazy uncle, uh, weirdo aunt, maybe there's that cousin that drives you nuts, okay? You're all sitting there thinking of that person right now, aren't you, okay? If you're sitting beside them, don't look at them, okay? Uh, but we all have them in our families. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I know who I'm thinking of right now, uh, absolutely. If you, if you can think of someone, put your hand up, Okay. All over the place. You're, yep, yep, yes, Pastor, I'm getting blessed right now. I can really feel it. Yeah, I've got that person. If you're here this morning and you're saying, you know, Pastor, I actually, uh, I don't know if there is anyone in my family that's really quite like that. There's a reason behind that because it's probably you, okay? Uh, just telling you how it is. Okay. <laughs> The term dysfunctional is a word that we use a lot, and the term dysfunctional is used quite often today in regards to families. And we have a lot of dysfunctional families, and these are families that have lots of hurts. It could, be, it could range from anything, from abuses to broken marriages to addictions. All these things bring into, or that are brought into our families help create what we call dysfunctional families. And I find it interesting, one of the strange dynamics in family life is, is that when the children grow up, they often repeat the same mistakes as their families. And the truth is that what we know about marriage and parenting, for good or bad, we've probably learned in our own homes as a child growing up. And the end result is that dysfunctional families create dysfunctional families for generations. And I believe that this is at least part of the reason why the Bible, what the Bible is speaking about in Numbers chapter 14, verse 18, that God lays the sins of the parents upon their children. So the entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation. You see, living in such a family, it can be very difficult to live for God, but I don't think it's impossible. I really don't think it's impossible. And I want us to look at a very familiar story in, our, in the Old Testament this morning. Many of you probably know this story, but there could be some here that don't. And so we're going to walk through this story, and it's the story of Joseph. And Joseph is, is, a, is proof that it's not impossible to live faithfully in an imperfect family. Joseph was raised in a home filled with anger, jealousy, and deceitful people. And he wasn't, he wasn't perfect himself, but I would say Joseph was faithful in an imperfect family. So let's look at a story in, in uh, Scriptures chapter 37, beginning to read at verse 1. It says, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. And this is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph. Israel is Jacob. Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. 
because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornament robe for him. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Verse 6, he said to them, listen to the stream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my, my sheaves rose and, and stood upright. Well, your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. And his brothers said to him, do you, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Verse 9. Then he had another dream. And he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the stars, 11 stars, were bowing down to me. And when he told his father as well as, as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? Verse 11, his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. First thing I want to look at here this morning is this thought. Joseph had imperfect parents. He had imperfect parents. Anyone here have imperfect parents? Okay, anyone? Yeah, you all do, by the way. I have imperfect parents, too. If I was to ask that question at Prime on Wednesday night at youth, guarantee you I wouldn't have to drag them to put their hand up. They'd go up real quick. I mean, we just that's the way it is with teenagers. When I was uh, a little kid, I was 11 years old playing, in the, uh, playing for the Bristol Beavers baseball team. And I was a really good player. I played shortstop. I was one of the pitchers. Loved playing baseball as a kid. I had played it for four years in a row. And this year, we made it to the championship game. And I was excited about that because we had not had good teams leading up to this year. I'm in the championship game, excited about this opportunity when something happened halfway through the game my dad decided to pull me from the game. Now picture this, 11-year-old boy playing in the championship game of baseball. My dad, pastor of the church, says to my coach, sorry, I gotta take my son home. There's a, a musical practice that he has to go to at the church. There's a reason why I know the words to music machine, music machine, like no other gadget that you've ever seen. I don't want to know those words. I want to play baseball. And I got pulled out of that game as an 11-year-old boy because my father took me from the game. And I'll tell you, we had a real pleasant conversation the whole way home. Uh, it, was, it was good. It was healthy. Uh, there, was, there was nothing. There was no anger, no tears. Uh, it was just one of those real, I'm lying to you. It was brutal. I yelled and screamed and cried. I said every word that I knew as an 11-year-old boy and was so angry at my father. It's interesting that a couple days later, my dad actually came to me, and I give him a huge amount of credit for this. And this is the part of the story that I'll, I'll truly never forget. He came to me and said, son, you know what? He came into my room and he said, son, I made a mistake. I said, well, I could have told you that, Dad. <laughs> he said, son, I felt pressured. I felt it was what I was supposed to do, but what I really did was I ruined our relationship just a little bit, and I took you away from something that you loved and worked hard at and worked for, and that wasn't fair to you. 
I'll never forget those words. And it's something that uh, I live by. Uh, I make mistakes with my own kids already, and they're not even that old. Not one of them's 11 yet. Uh, but I'll never forget the humility he had to come and say, I messed up. We're in a story here in the Bible where we don't necessarily hear those words come to Joseph. Now, Joseph's family was, was so unbelievable. It was, I mean, they could not even be, it could not even be made into a soap opera if you wanted to in today's television. It had, think about this. He had three stepmothers, ten stepbrothers, and a stepsister, all living in the same home at the same time. Okay? Just try to imagine the turmoil of this family. Jacob, Joseph's father, was a passive parent who openly showed favoritism among his children. And Jacob's wives were jealous and insecure. And Joseph's home had four unhappy women. Talk about some intense fellowship, okay? Joseph had a weak and ineffective father. Jacob was the classic passive parent. Earlier, great tragedy had come upon his family. I mean, this was a crazy family. You go back through the book of Genesis and the, and the chapters leading up to the one we read this morning. As they traveled across country, Jacob's daughter... She was raped by the son of the mayor of Shechem. And when Jacob learned what had happened, he did nothing. And his sons, however, when they saw that their father was going to do nothing, they decided to take matters into their own hands. And so they decided that they put a plan together and they killed all of the men. They killed all of the men in the city. Because, I mean, that's just what you do. When Jacob learned, to the, learned of what had happened, I mean, his main concern was about bad public relations. Bad public relations with the rest of the people in the land, but still he did nothing. And later, his oldest son, Reuben, had a sexual affair with, with Bilhah, his concubine. So here you have, when Jacob learned of his daughter's rape, he did nothing. When he learned of his sons was guilty of murder, he did nothing. When he learned that his son had, had a committed incest, he still did nothing. It's hard to calculate how Jacob's passiveness as a parent contributed to the turmoil of his family. And Jacob is a classic illustration of a man who was too busy of a man who was too busy for his family, too preoccupied and unconcerned, which meant he was too passive to deal with what was occurring in the lives of his very own children. And not only was Jacob a passive parent, but for 17 years, his children had watched as he played favorites with Joseph. In the, in the passage we read in verse 3, we learn, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. Joseph, now 17, was the firstborn son of his, of his father's favorite wife, Rachel. And Joseph was, according to Scripture, was born to his father late in life, as we just read. And there can be some valid reasons why the baby of the family, uh, especially one born late in life, seems to be the favorite. I, I know about what I'm speaking of because I am the baby of the family in my own. Uh, I have an older brother and an older sister. I'm the baby, and, and guys, if you're watching online, <laughs> yeah, I was spoiled, okay? I was, all right? You were too if you're the baby of the family. Admit it, you were spoiled. You get to stay up later. You get to do things that they never got to do. They give you the keys to the car a lot quicker than they did with the other ones. I mean, we get spoiled. 
It's just the way it is. And I don't know why that happens. I believe it's because of what maybe we have learned from previous experiments, <laughs> really, with our children. I love the, the classic illustration of the pacifier. You know, the little thing that they put in the baby's mouth. We've got a couple of those kicking around our house now. I love the illustration of the pacifier. With the first child, I mean, you boil the water. You put the pacifier in. You make sure it's all sterile. It's perfect and everything's great. You take it out. You put it in your, in your firstborn's mouth. You're like, oh, it's so pretty. It's so beautiful. Tear. Then he spits it out. It falls on the floor. What do you do? You pick it back up. You boil the water all over again. You throw it back in. And you do this over and over and over again. The second child comes along. He spits the pacifier out. What do you do? You pick it up and you look at it and think, hmm. And then you go and you turn the hot water tap on, right? You put it underneath there and they just wash it off. I mean, it's hot water. It's got to be the same. And you wipe it off there and then you put it in his mouth. Third child comes around. You pick it off the floor. You wipe it underneath your armpit and you stick it in his mouth. <laughs> it's just what we do. Now imagine if you had ten kids. <laughs> I don't want to know where that pacifier's been. It's what we learn. It's what we do. So, so the third child doesn't necessarily get all of the blessings, okay? Maybe he gets a lot of diseases at the same time. But no matter, no matter what the reason for the advantage is given to the younger child, they can definitely create jealousy. They can definitely create jealousy on, on part of, for the older child or children in the families. Now, you need to know that Joseph did have a younger brother. Those who are scholars here, you're like, wait a second. He did have a younger brother, and his name was Benjamin. But Joseph was truly the baby, okay? He was truly the baby of the family when it came to his father, Jacob. Now, not only did Jacob love Joseph more than his other brothers, but he demonstrated this favoritism openly and in a dramatic way. In no way did Jacob try to hide his favoritism. He didn't try at all. I mean, if you're going to play favorites, Try to hide it a little, okay? I mean, that's what I do. Uh, but you've got to hide it a little. And he doesn't at all. And the last part of verse 3, uh, I'm actually reading this from the New King James Version because I love what it says. It says, also he made him a tunic of many colors. Now the term tunic of many colors is translated as many colored or richly ornamented. And, and the Hebrew word describes it as a robe extending from the ankles to the wrists perhaps with an, an embroidered narrow strip uh, around the edge. And, and it was a garment worn by nobility and the wealthy. And Joseph's brothers wore garments that were, they were, they were short. They only came down to here. Uh, they, were, they, uh, they were sleeveless. Uh, with their garments, they were able to climb up hills. They could, they could wade through swampy waters. They could carry sheep on their shoulders. In essence, Joseph's robe declared that he was exempt from manual labor and hardship. Even the light color of his robe uh, indicated that he did not expect to get dirty at all or have, any, have it soiled in any way at all. What we have here is far more than a typical garment with a few added touches. It represents Joseph's favorite position in the family. In verse 2 that we already read, we're told that, that Joseph, he brought a bad report. A bad report about his brothers to his father. And on the surface, it might seem that Joseph was, was just a little bit of a tattletale. But, what, but from what Joseph said later on, he must have spoken to his brothers about this first 
It seems that they, they, they were yielded to the pressures of pagan societies around them. Canaanite religion included both idolatry and immorality. They were not living the life that they were supposed to be. And because of their behavior, every time the brothers saw the coat, they were reminded. They were reminded of the contrast between Joseph's life and their own life. And Joseph's brothers came to hate him for being all the things that they were not. Which leads to our second thought here today. Joseph had imperfect brothers. The story repeatedly reveals that Joseph's brothers, they, that they hated him very much. And, and first in verse 4, we are told that the brothers saw how Jacob favored Joseph, and they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad when you hate your brothers so much or you hate your sister so much that you can't even speak a kind word at all to them or about them. That's a pretty bad spot. Again, the following verses in verse 5, when Joseph tells of his dream, his amazing dream that he had, the reader is again informed that his brothers hated him. And when Joseph tells them about the second dream, they're like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And they, they hate him even more. And in verse 11, it reveals that his brothers were jealous of him. They were even envy of him. I've struggled, uh, I've struggled almost all my life uh, when it came to envy. I, I've envied my older brother. I love my brother very much. Kirk, he's a great pastor. Pastor's in Ontario now. And, and I think the world of him, uh, he hasn't had a perfect life. He's had a lot of hardship go through his life. He's had to go through some incredible things, and I won't go into that tomorrow, uh, today because that's his story to tell. But I can just tell you, as, as a younger brother looking up, I have huge respect for him. Huge. I love my brother. And I've been envy of him for years. I mean, this guy, he can sing. He is the most amazing singer I've ever heard. He leads worship and preaches in his church almost every Sunday. He's phenomenal. Uh, I wish I could sing like him. There's a reason why Mark doesn't let me sing in the worship team. He just won't let me. He heard my music machine routine, and that was it. But my brother can sing so beautifully. He's so passionate. He's so incredible. The guy's an incredible preacher, teacher, incredible. And I remember as a boy looking up and watching him because he's eight years older than me, and I remember watching him thinking, I hope I can grow up to be like him. In fact, I tried to be like him. My brother's the funniest guy I know. I try to be funny, but my brother's funny. He gets it. And he just, he's, he's a hilarious guy. He makes me laugh more than anybody else I know. And for years, I was envy of him. I wanted to be more like him, and I wish I could be more like him, and I was jealous of him. A couple years ago, the two of us were sitting out on the deck at Beulah Camp, and we're just chatting, and, and I decided to share that story with him. I said, Kirk, I looked so much up to you, and I'm in envy of you. And he starts to laugh. He looks at me and he says, are you kidding me? I go, what do you mean? He goes, all these years I've been envy of you. I'm like, what? You've heard me sing? What? And he looks at me and he says, Graham, you have no idea. You have no idea how much I respect you. And looked at me and I'm just sitting there. And here's these two big bearded guys sitting on a deck at Beulah bawling our eyes out. Right? You talk about a pretty sight. <laughs> But you know what? Even though we were envy of each other, love won. We didn't let it bring us apart. We didn't let it uh, take us apart. And it's, it's amazing. At no point did we allow these things to ruin our relationship. 
Friends, today more than ever, we face the challenge of blended families, and the number one reason given for the failure of second marriages is conflict over child-rearing issues. And whether it is the first or second marriage, parents must learn, and this is hard for us, we had to learn this, parents must learn that the very nature of children means that we cannot treat them exactly alike, but that you can love them equally and treat them fairly. If we neglect this, hatred becomes part of our families. Now, lastly here this morning, Joseph, he wasn't perfect. Joseph was imperfect as well. And I assume that Joseph, who was 17 at the time, was a normal adolescent. And I doubt very much Joseph understood everything that was going on in his life. Although I remember when I was 17, you do too, we knew it all then, so maybe he did. But Joseph was at very least naive and possibly a little arrogant. He, he wore his new special coat into the fields to check on his brothers. This would be like wearing a tuxedo to go work on your lawn, okay? It doesn't happen. And if you've ever seen someone do that, he's probably your crazy uncle that you were thinking about at the beginning of the message. It just doesn't happen, okay? It was hardly inappropriate and perhaps just a little proud of him. And Joseph also related his dreams of dominance to his brothers in verses 5 through 8 in the passage we read. It does not take much to, to incite, uh, does not take to, um, it does not take too much to incite to understand that this could only further fan the flame of his brothers' animosity towards him. Now, hear me now. We cannot blame ourselves for the faults of others but we must be realistic when it comes to our own faults and accept responsibility for them. You see, church, we all make mistakes. It's what we do next that truly matters. I make mistakes, you make mistakes, everyone in this room makes mistakes. We all make mistakes. It's what we do next that truly matters. I stand before you here this morning and say, I'm not perfect, I'm far from it, I make mistakes. Ask my wife, she'll tell don't ask her, she has too many to tell you. But I make mistakes. Honey, just plug your ears for like two seconds here, okay? My wife makes mistakes. You can unplug them now, okay? I make mistakes, she makes mistakes, our children make mistakes, our parents make mistakes, our cousins, our relatives, your pastor, we all make mistakes. We all make mistakes. But at the end of the day, in my family, when we make mistakes, at the end of the day, we choose love, and it's a choice. It's a choice that you have to make, and we choose to forgive and to love one another no matter what. We all make mistakes. It's what we do next that matters most, and we choose love. Joseph's life gets completely turned upside down. His life gets completely turned upside down. His life would have made a great uh, Hollywood movie. Think about it. His brothers end up selling him into slavery. Then they go and tell their father that he's been killed by an animal, and they even pour blood on his, on his coat. They rip it off, and they put it on there and say, look, he's gone. There's no DNA back then. They can't tell the difference. He's gone. As far as Jacob's concerned, his son is gone. His favorite son is gone. He gets sold into slavery. He ends up in Egypt, and he ends up being bought by Potiphar, and Potiphar has a wife who decides that she's taking a liking to Joseph, and she makes a pass on him, and he rejects it. Next thing you know, Potiphar's wife is going and saying, Joseph made a pass on her. She lies. 
And he ends up back in jail and prison. Several years go by, and then then through some weird events, he ends up uh, in front of Pharaoh, the guy who's in charge, the the boss, right, the main guy. And Pharaoh has some confusing dreams, and, and Joseph, the word gets out that he knows how to interpret dreams. And Joseph interprets his dream. He says, basically, you're going to have seven years of, of, of good crops. And then there's going to be seven bad years. And Pharaoh begins to like this guy and, and through a, a bunch of events, makes him second in command of all of Egypt. And Joseph was in charge of making sure they collected enough food for the bad years that were to come. Now, this is the best part. You ready? After many years, Joseph's brothers <laughs> show up and need help. And they have to ask Joseph for it. Now, let's not be all high and mighty in here this morning. If you're, that, if you're Joseph, you're probably thinking, payback time. They messed with my life. It's time for me to mess with their life. But he doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't do that. True reconciliation does not demand restitution be paid before harmony is restored. Let me say that again to you. True reconciliation does not demand restitution be paid before harmony is restored. If we fast forward to the end of this story, Joseph demonstrates great compassion and and confirms his reconciliation and affection for his fearful brothers at a time when they needed him most. Joseph was used of God because he acknowledged that everything he had belonged to the Lord. Everything he got, every place he ended up was because God helped him get there. And he knew that God could do more with his mind, that God God could do more uh, incredible things with his will and his emotions than if he continued to have emotions of anger, of jealousy, and payback. And so Joseph looks at his brothers and he says this, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Think about that. He just heard a story. He heard about the turmoil he went through. And he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Joseph's parents were not perfect. His brothers were not perfect. Joseph wasn't perfect. You see, God specializes in changing us and conforming us into his image. And no matter what our family background, regardless of our past, we can know that the love of the Heavenly Father, when we surrender ourselves to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And maybe your parents weren't perfect. Maybe you're here today and say, you don't understand, Pastor. You don't understand my life. No, I probably don't. But God does. Maybe you've had a really bad family situation growing up. Maybe your home life was less than ideal. Perhaps you have made mistakes even as a teenager or even later in life. God wants to forgive us and help us to start over question becomes to us, can we forgive? Can we actually forgive? Can we actually start 
over. My family's not perfect. Far from it. But I thank the Lord every day for my parents, my siblings, my wife, my kids, and even my crazy uncle. My family's not perfect. Your family's not perfect. But at the end of the day, can we honestly say we choose God in our situation? At the end of the day, can we say we're going to start over and we're going to bring love into it. I don't know where you are this morning. I know you're in an imperfect family because I am too. And maybe there's something, maybe there's a grudge, maybe there's something that you've been hanging on to for years and you just won't let go of it. Maybe it's personal. Maybe it's somebody else's issue. Maybe somebody's wronged you. Maybe you can relate to Joseph this morning and say, I was wronged. It's not fair. They owe me. No matter where you are this morning, I believe God wants to step inside of your heart and in your life today and say, rest easy. Rest in me. Trust me. Let me do the fixing. Stop trying to do it yourself. Get God in your home. Get God in your lives. It can make a difference. It will make a difference. And I stand before you today as living proof of a God who loves and a family that loves each other. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. Guys are going to sing a very powerful song here this morning. And maybe you need to just surrender something here today. Whatever that might be, you know how it works here. You're always welcome to come and kneel and pray. If you're afraid to come by yourself, grab someone by the arm and say, hey, can you come with me? Maybe you just need to kneel where you are. If you've got something to surrender to God here today, don't wait for tomorrow. Let's do it today. Let's get business done today. You're welcome to come as we sing.